know how to take your home from lacklustre to blockbuster? Need to know the latest interior design trends? Then you'll be right at home with the Find It, Style It podcast. Hosted by Lauren Keenan, where we show you how easy it is to create beautiful spaces and turn your house into a home you'll love. Find it, style it. Shake it! Today, podcasters, we've got a special treat today. We've got a celebrity guest on the podcast this episode. Yeah, Tim Ross, also known as Rosso, with uh, a long history in radio here in Australia. And also a massive design and architecture tragic. With his own TV show now. Yes, called The Streets of Your Town. We recorded this uh, interview just before the first episode was going out on ABC TV last week, and the next episode is out tonight, Tuesday the 15th of November. But, of course, if you don't get to catch tonight you didn't see last week it's available on iview how great is iview you can just look up all these shows that you've missed and just watch them at your own convenience including streets of your town with tim ross you're listening to the find it style it podcast with lauren keenan well welcome tim ross to the find it style it podcast and congratulations on this amazing show that you've uh, put together the streets of your town thank you very much wonderful to be here i actually watched uh, both episodes back to back yesterday good on you i had a sneak peek and i loved it i was i sort of finished one episode and I could, you know, as quick as I could get the next one loaded up, I had it going. So that's really nice fantastic. To hear. That's yeah. um, I think it's really accessible. You know, two hours of TV that sort of highlights why design's important. Yeah, that's what I thought too. So you're following Australia's sort of architectural journey from the '50s through till now. What inspired you to make the show? I've always been a bit of a design nerd, and my initial interest has been. I suppose for 20-odd years, 25 years, I've been collecting furniture. I don't collect so much anymore because my house is full, but it's been really <laughs> – that was my thing. So I'd always liked architecture and I've always been fascinated by houses. I was a kid of the suburbs and in the series of sort of features the house where I grew up in, which is a modernist in nature without being, you know, fancy in a sidler kind of way, but it had all the elements there. And plus it was in the bush and I, all around me I watched all the – houses being built and the Ranelar estate where I grew up in Mount Eliza was signed by Walter Burley Griffin and Mount Eliza they call it the cradle of modernism because they're all the great Australian Melbourne architects of the time like Robin Boyd and then later on Chancellor and Patrick and Kevin Ball and a whole bunch of these people all design houses around that area and so they were all there and when I'm a kid and I'm on my BMX and I'm riding around with my brothers and somehow there's all these this whole era of design sort of seeping in and then, of course, more recently, I, you know, I bought a 1950s house to put my furniture in, and then it just, psh, I turned into that guy who's going to all the open houses and buying all the books. And, <laughs> and, and, you know, and then you end up doing a TV show, and then I do this other thing, this Man About the House show, where we, we perform, you know, effectively just in, you know, architecturally significant places and mostly houses. I was going to ask you about that. So are you weaving in stories about the home that you're performing in during those shows? It depends on what the property is, Um I think lots of people would like to think that I'd do a lot more research about where we're performing, but sometimes the house is just the show like a theatre and it's all just, a, you know, in some ways it's just like a fancy stand-up show and some of them are, some of the audiences are more design-focused, so we do more, I do more design talk. I just really base it on who who's there and what the mood is and how people feel about it. And then if I want to do more nerdier furniture stuff like I've been doing another show which is called How Much for the, for the Green Chair with the Wooden Legs and <laughs> that's about me and collecting furniture so you know and other furniture nerds out there will get that joke. yeah yeah so yeah and the story behind that was i found a featherston chair in christchurch and this little junk shop and i said to the woman i said oh and you know how much is that so it must be 
you know, $2,000 worth of chair at that time, probably more now. But I said, oh, how much for that, you know, green chair with wooden legs? And she said, oh, it's um, it's 200 bucks, but uh, I'll give it to you today for 180 And I went, oh, that's fantastic. So, of course, I've got to get it <laughs> if back. If only she knew. I've got to get it back from New Zealand to Australia. And so I rang up this guy who'd just moved everything, oh, moved the stuff, moved my house. And it was when I was doing breakfast radio. And he goes, mate, I can do that for you, Ross. I no worries, mate. In fact, I'll get it to your house tomorrow, mate. I'm going to get it sorted <laughs> for you right now, buddy. And it did arrive the next day. Wow. With a bill for 1500 <laughs> <laughs> uh, Yeah. So it didn't quite get you cheap. You know, no, no. It's a, it, was, it was about where it sat. So that was not a choice uh, bill to get. <laughs> no, 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 not, not no. choice at all. So one of the concepts that you introduce sort of very early in the show in the first episode is this idea of modernism versus McMansionism. Architecture has changed over time and our suburbs and our streets have evolved. What did you see during the making of your show? The interesting thing about the McMansion is, is if you take away what is the outside of these places, many of the elements of what are inside them are things that were developed in the 1950s. That the merging of kitchen spaces, opening them all up, open plan, all those things that were really discovered and developed. And then it's almost like we put this packaging around it that's pretty, well, pretty ordinary in lots of ways. And so it's not a story about good design versus bad design. It's more about a story about we used to value design a lot more. There was a bit more of it around, strangely enough. Um, And our options were better. We had these better, in the 1950s, you could get a plan from the all the newspapers and some of the magazines did them and they employed all the best architects of the day to get plans that you could buy for a small amount of money they were house plans designed by some of the best architects of the day obviously Is that that's the small, small, small home, home so that was yeah. fascinating yeah. i found on the show and there's also you know it's different times when people were building their own houses you couldn't get a lot of materials you couldn't get tradesmen so people were doing their own thing so all these people were building these little houses particularly in melbourne that's our heritage of building stuff ourselves, being adaptable, and then sort of somehow along the line we find ourselves and, well, I'm just going to buy that off the plan. And de- bad design, I suppose, influences bad design. So if you've got a lack of choices in the suburbs, you suddenly start looking at something that's sort of okay and thinking that's the best that's going around. And the best example of this is when you look at the way that you see houses without eaves, these sort of bull-nosed things mm-hmm. and the reason for that of course is that if you have a house without eaves apart from the reason the bad things about it which means you can't get you don't get any shade from it it's not great for the environment environmentally but that's so you can go as close as you possibly can to the boundary wall so you can get as much house as you can on. okay mm-hmm. yeah so that's right. they started doing that as a nifty design mm. element and really it was a cheat right as a cheat so you could get a bigger house but people started seeing that and thought it was something cool design it's good design it's a feature and so then you get this ludicrous thing where people have eveless houses or features that are 20 meters from a boundary and so that's what i mean by bad design sort of breeds bad designs because we've all been in a situation no matter how design literate you are that we get influenced by what's around so what what would robin boyd think about some of these features that we're seeing oh i mean his thing was he his big thing was he he in his book the australian ugliness he rallied against what he called featurism I don't mind a bit of featurism, but they don't speak of the owners. They don't – I think that it's the show-off nature of houses. I feel like we're 
creating houses that have more and more rooms just for us mm. to accumulate more and more yeah. crap, basically. And it's a media room or it's a study nook and it's this and it's that. And it's kind of like, why do we have all this space? Yeah, and I think we, people get sold it. And then someone put on my Facebook yesterday and they were sort of like, oh, you might hate my house. I've got a four-bedroom house. It's like, I don't care what house you live in. As long as you're making you, – you've got everything in front of you to make that decision of what you want to do. If you got, I just, It's about having the opportunities to choose. Mm. And if that's what you want to do, that's your thing. You know, our suburbs look very boring if just the planners just did it all. But if, you, as long as the, you've got uh, access to good design, access to good architects, as long as that option's there in front of you, I think you should go for it. But if you need space because you need it or you want it, go for it. But having it just because someone sort of says you have and everyone else is doing that, that's where we're sort of falling over. So how do you think we make it more accessible, good design more accessible to everyday families and mums and dads these days? I think the really exciting thing that's happening in Sydney, at least at the moment, um, is this sort of rediscovering of the terrace house for the slightly outer suburbs. And there's a great opportunity for building all these places is to revisit that time where we, the architects probably, the, oh, excuse me, well, I've got a bit tummy thing going. Um, <laughs> the architects at the moment, there's a design comp going on to build these sort of new style terraces. So we've got this great chance to sort of get a whole bunch of people to really just say, well, we can do this again, let's design it and how can we use the spaces. But I reckon where the real challenge is is, and the way people should be thinking is, okay, this is an expensive city. How do we take that land or that house that I've just bought or whatever it is and I turn that into a – turn it into something that works really well for me, not just now for the future. So you go, okay, I've built – I've got this land or I've got this block of land. How can I get – a good design to make the most of the space so we can still have a good backyard, but maybe at the back's a little home studio that I can run my office out of or my kids can live there when they're a little bit older. You know, the granny flat thing or mum and dad can, in-laws could live there for a little while or I'm just going to put that on Airbnb and that's going to help pay my mortgage. And maybe what if there's two of those there? Because how much space do you really need if it's all inbuilt? How do you telegraph for the future where you say, why does a fridge have to be as big as it is now? You know, everything's been shrinking. The one thing that hasn't been shrinking is mm. a fridge. And that's because we're married to the idea of a big fridge. But you think about... Okay, we also love food. Yeah, we love food. <laughs> but you think, well, a, f- a fridge may be, look completely different in the future. But if you had your house and then when, as your kids get older and they've got girlfriends and boyfriends and kids and they're, they're trying to break into the market, but you've got this nice house and you've got a pool and you've got all this veggie patch and all that stuff, and you were sharing that with your family, you suddenly everything's so much easier. It's, and, like, that's not for everyone. Not everyone wants to be around their family all the time, mm. but lots of people are these days. Yeah. And I, if I had that opportunity within, for a new build, I would start thinking about, okay, one block of land, shared spaces, better use of everything you, that you've got there. And, you know, you've seen those houses where you see that beautiful design where people essentially put parts of the kitchen in the hallway. So there's this line between, oh, okay, we're down there, and I'm still in the hallway, but I've just walked past the fridge. Mm. That's a really simple example of where yeah. great design can help so you. So do you think we need to sort of look a little bit to the past to help us make decisions about the future and, and design? Because I'm, I'm seeing sort of some great elements from modernism mm. and from 50, 60 years ago that maybe we should be reinstituting a little bit yeah, in our Yeah, I think, I think you take the best of everything. And, yeah, sure, I'm a nutty modernist, but that was the, the, the architecture of my time. So um, but I see things where people, what people are referencing at the moment that are really beautiful and and they're not referencing them in a, a really tacky sort of here's an old Georgian manner way. They take the best of what works for you or what, what's new. I'm not a really big fan of people who rebuild 1950s-style mm-hmm. houses. I think you go out and you build the best house you can for today you. for yeah. you. And 
that's just not my taste. But I am I'm excited by anything that's somehow. I don't know what it is. It just I see a house and go I like that. But I don't know why I wouldn't necessarily have done that for myself. But this because it actually boils down to consideration. That's what we're really talking about. Because that's what that's what make, makes architecture work. So I was just going to say it really surprised me watching the show how popular modernism and modernist architecture was in Australia in the 50s and 60s and how well we actually did it. I sort of mm. didn't know much about that. Why do you think we did it so well and why did it take off here so much? Um, it was of the time. It was very much driven by those architects who believed, like I do, is that good design can solve all problems, can solve everything in lots of ways. Not, you know, it's not going to help you out with hemorrhoids, but, you know, it might be in a, with, a per- with a perfect design pair of underpants or something. But um, Or that, that other wonderful part of it is, is that it should be accessible to everyone. With that in mind, that's what drove them to do things like they were happy to create and there was money in it for them as well, but they were happy to do houses for everyone, for those lend, lease or pet and seven or merchant builders or any of those companies that designed houses that were architect. They, they developed houses that were architect designed. And I think we were everyone was moving to the suburbs. It was in all of the magazines. It was part of our – it was on TV and it was on – it was in movies and everyone went, yeah, I want new, like we want new now. Yeah. And uh, it was a very exciting time, I think, for that stuff and it was just became literally part of the furniture. We had a blank canvas with the bush, you know, like I think people, it's like a perfect storm of like we've got these bush suburbs. We, you know, we've got sloping blocks, so how do we do that with these, these beautiful split-level homes, the brick and natural timber? And, it's interesting yeah. because um, uh, in the show you go to Palm Springs at mm. the start and you don't spend a lot of time there, mm. but it's um, a real mecca for mm. this design style. And we were there earlier this year and got to have a look at some of the houses mm. that you saw as well. But some of the, the best examples were of design that we saw there were where they used the landscape mm. to tie in colour, to tie in texture, to tie the property into the hill line for the ones up in mm. the hills. And I guess maybe there's some similarities there between what they do architecturally and in the landscape in Palm Springs and in Australia. Yeah, and I think they, um, in Palm Springs where it's all, I don't know, it's hard to explain why does it, why do they just pop in the landscape there? They just, because they open themselves up to it. So there's this, um, there's a transparency through the best of the houses. So you see those the mountains on either side and they just seem to sit in the desert so well. And the best... Australian houses sometimes sit in the bush and they don't, you can't see them from the street or they sort of blend in. Of course, today that's, oh, it's a bit dark for everyone. Mm. I get that. But, um, you know, I like those browns of the past, but that's because I'm deeply nostalgic about it. And that's the other thing is when you come to everything with a view of, you know, I'm a 46-year-old guy who grew up in a middle-class suburb who's sort of pining for the past a bit. But I also think, you know, we can learn a lot from what we did and, it's important for us to realise that we were really good at this for a period of time. And I think that it's always surprised me that that was the fact that we could get... Almost all Australians had access to great design and we can't anymore. And so I'm not advocating that everyone should be able to... should go and live in a 1950s house and have a really nice collection of furniture or something because that's missing the point. It's just like, well, let's just... Let's make it a way that everyone sort of goes, oh, I want that. That'd be great. How can we do that? That'd be awesome. You know, people wouldn't realise it at the time when you're buying one of those houses off the plan. But if there was one just this side that had a little more modest in some ways or just had a little bit more thought, so you didn't have all that wasted space and that some, had some design elements that made that made a lot more sense from an economic point of view, they suddenly go, oh, God, this is a much more pleasant place Way to, to live, be. Yeah. yeah. 
Tim Ross is a really interesting guy, and we're going to have more with him shortly. But this is the Find It Style It podcast. I'm Scott Keenan. And I'm Lauren Keenan. I'm an interior stylist and the founder of finditstylet.com.au. This podcast has been going a while now. We're 20 odd episodes in, and we've spoken to some really interesting people along the way, including Jamie Jury. Yeah, Jamie's a really interesting guy. He's got uh, a really long career in Australian and US television, and he's just a really talented designer. And I really love this concept that he's come up with called Transterior, which is all about bringing together the indoors and the outdoors. It was all about breaking down the boundaries right from the get-go, from, from the architecture through to the furniture that's used. So we would use a lot of exterior elements and natural materials for our furniture, bringing that inside. And then if we're looking at doing outdoor furniture, we want to make that feel very interior mm. because we, we like to feel like we're offering a luxurious landscape. We call it luxscaping, you know, and therefore you're using sumptuous materials and, and beautiful quilted um, forms of padding on the benches and techniques that you would normally assimilate with, with interior design, but it's exterior. So you can hear more of Lauren's chat with Jamie Jury in Episode 7 of the Find It Style It podcast. But now let's go back to our chat with Tim Rosso-Ross, where we're talking all about his new TV show, Streets of Your Town. So you showcase some amazing properties on both episodes of the show. Obviously, you, you know a lot about this topic and you've probably mm. visited a lot of them before, but was there anything that you really What's the loved? Standout? There's two I love for two different reasons. One of them is at the start of Episode 2 is The Hills House by Neville Grisman, and it looks over Taramara. And it actually looks directly over Rose Seidler House. And it's a big glass pavilion that looks out into the bush. And that's just a knockout. I'd seen photos and I went, wow. Got to go there. Yeah, and it's it's it represents everything that we would like to think a 1960s house would be in terms of all the cliches of the party or, you know, it's just put things in pop culture terms. It's got it's got all that, uh, you know, what's his name? Oh, behave at some... Austin Powers. Oh, Austin Powers. It's got all that vibe, all that, all that fun swing and 60s stuff <laughs> yeah, that you baby. want. Yeah, the yeah baby stuff. But it's a sexy design style, yes, right? Yes, yes. And, and that's is, and, it's coming back. Yeah, yeah. And, and so that's and that's the point I'm making. There is something that's inherently appealing about it. So that one. So what's it called? What's that one? The Hills House. The Hills House. And it was owned by a, a nudist. Oh, that was that one. That was yeah, <laughs> and, and then... And the, it was this great thing. So the guy wants to live in a glass house, but he's a vegetarian nudist. <laughs> <laughs> so Neville Grossman built this big mound, essentially. Was he a nudist or an exhibitionist? No, he, no, he wasn't. He was he, he was an exhibitionist. So they built a mound that protected him from the neighbours. From his mound. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and And... He sadly died of stomach cancer not long after he moved into the house. And then the Hills bought it later on after someone had ruined it and they put it back to its original state. And then they extended it in 1980 to turn into a family home because it was a very petite house for a bachelor. And so that's really striking. But the other house I really loved had very little to do with its design. We're doing a little bit in Five Dock in, in Sydney and we're talking about our suburbs and how immigrants took the brick veneer home and turned it into their own vernacular, if you put it that way, mm-hmm. or just gave it their own. Their own style. Their own style. And yeah. they've been laughed at and, you know, they termed the old-fashioned terms like wog mansions and stuff, but they make a really valuable part of our neighbourhoods, I think. And they smell of family and they just ooze life. And pride. They're yeah. really proud of their home. And so this particular house, they've done some pretty, well, questionable things to an old Federation home and pulled everything off and whatever but it had the most beautiful garden and had this tiled section and they were the most lovely people and you could feel the family and 
they were so nice and it was really comfortable to be in. And so, no, from a design point of view, parts of the house, you know, aren't going to win any design awards. But the design elements that I loved, which are not traditional elements, is if you go, if you've got an amazing vegetable garden and a beautiful old fig tree and if you see two old people pottering around in that, that's magical. They've got photos of the family everywhere and they're giving us homemade biscuits and all that sort of stuff. And so great things in terms of your own personality or things that just make you good can somehow and will always be able to sort of outweigh anything that's designed trendy because it speaks of who the people are. And it gives you a certain feeling when yeah. you're in the space. Yeah, and I, the thing about homes that we really love deep down is not coffee tables, Great paintings, all that stuff. We like the feeling of that there's warmth and that there's... Yeah, we belong that, there. That we yeah. belong, yeah. A tiled backyard with a great fig tree and lots of tomato plants is, is good design. Yeah. Awesome. And, and this show is shot so beautifully and you, you really showcase the homes and the style of design that you that you go and see so well. You must, though, have seen some some ugly properties as well in your research or in the you know the shooting of the show too. Yeah, just houses that look... I think I mentioned in the show, like... They don't look like houses. They look like a dentist. <laughs> Did or you something. have to bite your tongue? Because I could see sometimes it was before. Maybe he was wanting to say a bit more, but you. Yeah, I think it's because it becomes more about what they what they represent than going. Oh, look at looking down your nose on how people yeah. decide they want to live. And the big thing to buy a house, it takes a a lot to do it these days. So without getting too much into the politics of it all, then the it's hard getting hard to buy a home in in our capital cities in Australia. Yeah. It's expensive, as you yeah. say, and when land is released and mm. places are built. Developers want to get them up quick, smart, and make mm. money. So what's got to change to get better design into our developments in Australia so people have more livable homes? Yeah, I don't know. It's the answer. Because it's the land that obviously is expensive. And I don't think just releasing more, releasing more drives the price down. It just doesn't seem to work. And is it about people taking risks, though, as well, like designers, uh, builders, uh, buyers? What's happened in this country, and, and you guys know this and you would have seen this you know, professionally, mm-hmm. is that... The proliferation of IKEA in all capital cities now and and multiple places has created a more design literate. Absolutely, people. Yeah. What we're waiting for is it to sort of kick over into the next thing, which goes from a real the inside of what we do into start thinking about the outside. I believe if you're a developer, as time goes on, when people are going to demand more because we demand it everywhere else, we're not demanding it in our houses so they're going to the market will will demand it and i think that's going to be the answer i think people are going to go i don't really like that i want something a bit cooler i want something that's more like that thing i've seen on the telly Mm. you know you want to say oh i saw something in that suburb why can't i have a version of that and the answer is well you can you can yeah so you live in a modernist house what is what is the best thing about living in a mid-century modern home the light yeah sense of space so our home is quite modest it was originally a two-bedroom house in 1959 and then it's got an extra sort of third bedroom now a little extension in the early 70s but the front of our house is a wall of glass and so what does that do it gives you the illusion that you've got a lot more space so that's one of the great ways that these guys worked out it feels really much more spacious than it really is and that comes through all the bedrooms it has some issues as far as I've got really old glass, so it's not as insulated as well. Mm. But, you know, I've got good blinds. From a downside, the only downside I have with the house is the upkeep for an older house. It's getting to that point. 
you know, there's some things I'm going to keep painting and all that sort of stuff, but that happens to all of them. Um, my wife doesn't like the fact there's no storage. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. Like, people had no stuff in those days. Yeah. yeah. So how do you how do you merge sort of that older style from 1959 with, your with how you live with a couple of kids? And you put and- this terrible, shitty... Ikea cupboard in one of the rooms, which I hate. But, you know, that's what happens. It's about, uh, it's a compromise. So, you know, everything else is fine. You know, it's not like the Wi-Fi doesn't work or anything like that. Um, You know, how do you describe it? It's so livable and we've got a few things that aren't code. So like, most people do. We've got a really low balcony at the front, but, you know, we haven't had any troubles with the kids yet. So it's, well, it's pop a trampoline yeah. the, on the other side but of the balcony. But, you know, like, I think they'll bounce off. They'll bounce off. I think the proof of the pudding is, you know, you get youngish people come around and they'll go, oh, did you just build this house? And mm. you go, yeah. no, dude, 1959. It shows how much yeah. it stands the test of time. The, the look and feel. Good design stands the test of time. Oh, I like yeah. it. Yeah, and go. I think, that, I mean, the, the trick for the 50s homes, 60s homes, is they need to evolve. People need to get used to renovating them in the same way, say, the California bungalow. Everyone's very comfortable with the fact that you keep the front and then yeah. do something on the back. back. Yeah. Yeah. If we didn't do that, they wouldn't survive. Mm. And they've survived because people have started to value them and go, I really like that. I really like the California bungalows. I really like that style. And same with the terrace houses. Oh, excuse, there we go again. Um, sorry for my tummy rumbles. Um <laughs> But the problem with the 50s and 60s houses and the 70s houses, they, they are varied in design. It's not like they're all the same. Whereas mm. with the California bungalow, they're pretty much... It's a bit of a formula. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And so it's very easy to copy and be look at them and go, oh, or a terrace house. Oh, yeah, I know, I get that. I get that. But not every 50s and 60s house is the same. So I think that's going to be the struggle. And I think the more people see them being renovated well or work out a way to push out or up or whatever it is, depending on the, on the house that will sort of help inspire people. Our house, you know, it's had a few owners over the years, but the, I think the second or third owner, I can't remember who it is, doesn't really matter, but, like, they'd been really surprised to see the house that they grew up in be in magazines. They probably th- thought, how the house this happened, yeah. Yeah. I haven't done much to it, really, especially the first lot of times it's been in. It's like, it's not much different to mm. where it was when probably some different furniture, that's mm. about it. So it's that perception is that, you know, people used to go, oh, I don't really get, I don't really get mid-century modern. I don't really go, oh, yeah, they're ugly, they're old. Now people like them and now they're probably, actually the revival's probably had its height and now everyone's looking at other things and the next thing will be postmodern, and deco will come back in some form or whatever it is. Um, so I can't say McMansions ever being, uh, having a renaissance. <laughs> no, and I think what'll happen with the McMansions is they'll all get split up into flats and you'll have to, you'll have to carve up One the up space. One up down. Yeah. Yeah. You uh, you got to visit Palm Springs, and I have no doubt you've been there many times. You performed there mm. um, uh, recently as well. Would you ever move there, or is it? No, or is it- it's too bloody hot. It's too hot, and it's great. <laughs> we went to there visit. in June, and it was yeah, ridiculous. I think yeah, I think two days is three days. I think cocktails, swimming pool, the Hollywood set. Yeah, nah, it's too small. It's too hot. I think its joy is that you go. It's really exciting, and then you walk away. It's a bit like Vegas. It's like a it's a moment in time, isn't it? Yeah, the way that they've yeah, sort of and they've done a great that. job, and and they continue to work really hard. And those preservation groups there have done an extraordinary job um, to raise the awareness, and it's 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 reinvigorated the place. Yeah, absolutely. Shake it. Well, the show is on tonight at eight thirty on ABC, and also next Tuesday night. Yes, and we should give a socials shout out I think because I noticed it's got its own uh, Instagram yep. page at streets of your underscore town yes is the show and you're at modernista we'll put all of these in the show notes yes and there's a hashtag is there for the show streets 
streets of your town, and it's of course on iView, be on iView forever, yeah. DVD. Fantastic. Pirated. <laughs> I wish I'd get myself a sandwich after talking. You know, I've filled up seven hours of your podcast without a sandwich. Thank you, guys. Well, thanks so much for your time. I feel it's terrible been... I didn't bring something I along. Know, maybe now. we should have, yeah. yeah. Most people do, you know. <laughs> We're we'll terrible know, we'll hosts. No, no, thanks so much for your time. <laughs> All right, good luck with the show. Thanks, Jim. Follow Lauren on your socials for latest style trends and tips. Just search Find It, Style It and subscribe now for exclusive perks, discounts and updates about store openings straight into your inbox. Go to finditstyleit.com.au.